Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast, where my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts helping support our vision of leaders powered for good. If that's your mission too, I know you'll be inspired by what you hear. I'll be back at the end to share what I've learned. Enjoy this episode of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast, Catherine Stothard. How are you doing today? I'm really good. Thank you very much. And I'm delighted to be here, Chad. We're so glad to have you here. Um, You are here talking behind your book, Motivation, the Ultimate Guide to Leading Your Team. I'm always intrigued before we dig into, we're going to so dig into this book and some of the learnings and some of the insights that you have, but I'm always just really intrigued. Why, why this topic, why this area of focus, what led you to the kind of the focus area of motivation and what drives people? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, So, well, I had previously written another book four years ago on communication. So I think I got that one out of my system. Um, And I think that's, in the motivation book, I think it's, I go deeper. So, you know, I'm writing about our core psychological needs, what drives our behavior. And I started this book, it was a COVID project, really. So COVID happened, the pandemic happened in 2020. So I had time on my hands, I wasn't doing as much work with my usual clients. And I just thought, it's time I wrote another book. But this time, rather than about communication, let's go on to motivation. And Obviously, during the pandemic, people were having to work from home, um, you know, and since the pandemic, we've had people talking about the great resignation, about quiet quitting and all those sorts of things. And I felt that it was time to almost come back to the topic of motivation. I think, you know, a lot of managers, when you become a manager in the UK anyway, I don't know about the US, people say to you, oh, you've got to motivate your team. You know, that's your job. You've got to motivate your team. But nobody tells them how to do it. And I just felt that there was a gap there that I wanted to fill. I felt I had some, you know, useful stuff to say, helpful stuff to say, and I wanted to fill that gap. And as I said, particularly with people perhaps losing their motivation to some extent during the pandemic. So that's that's what drove me to write it, really. And I had the time. So let's dig into this. I always like to set a foundation so our listeners are really, really clear on where you're coming from. How do you define motivation? What does that actually mean to you? Okay. So I define motivation as a combination of three things, having a sense of purpose, being persistent and being resilient. Because basically your sense of purpose is something meaningful to you, which moves you to action. But unless you're also persistent and resilient, you know, you can give up. So I think it's all three things. So I think managers and and leaders in organizations need to pay attention to all those three things. So for me, um, purpose is, as I said, something meaningful to you that moves you to action. But there's two types of purpose. So one is your short-term purpose, if you like. So two years ago, my purpose was to write that book. Um, And that's, you know, that's what got me up in the morning. That's what kept me going sort of thing. But I think we also have uh, more stable and enduring um, needs that give us a sense of purpose as well. And those are really what this book is about. Um, So those needs are quite deep seated within us. You know, they're why we do what we do. 
And I think we we all share, there's four core needs, I think. I think we all share all of them, but usually one of them is more important than the others to us. And I felt that, you know, I want people to know about this stuff. I found it useful in my own life and I want more people to know about it. Um, so that if you're a leader, you know what motivates you, but also you know how to tap into what motivates, what sort of purpose, what what motivates your your team members. We'll dig into those four needs because that's really when we're going to start kind of mechanizing the the, uh, the ideas and the research that you put into this. But let's talk about the why of motivation. You you talked about that time, that that very dark time for a lot of us of of COVID, where maybe we were all feeling like shut-ins or we were not able to have the relationships or the connections and maybe even work wasn't exactly what it, it is now or what it was before. But when you talk about what people need and their health and what drives them, how does motivation link to, um, you know, a, a, just a healthy lifestyle and a, and a healthy outlook uh, on life? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think motivation and well-being are completely linked. Because if you can fulfill those core needs, those four core needs I mentioned, um, then you feel happier. You know, if these are, so for me, one of my top core needs, I think, is the need for competence. I like to be good at what I do. I like to be a bit of an expert and so on, which is probably why I've ended up writing some books. Um, If I can't meet that core need, then I feel frustrated. I feel irritable. Um, you know, if other things, if the routine demands of day-to-day life are getting in my way and stopping me, meeting that need to be, to, to get better at what I do and so on, then, um, yeah, I feel bad, you know, and I not only lose my motivation because other things are dragging me down are draining my energy, but I don't feel happy. Whereas if I can spend enough of my time doing the things that motivate me, I feel happier. I've got more energy. Um, so for me, motivation and well-being are completely linked. You talked before about, well, you talked a little bit right there about like, you know, you want to be an expert at something. You know, it's important that we all kind of like seek out excellence in our own purpose, our own way. But uh, there's a big piece of this around your purpose. And and this is not the first podcast that I've talked about purpose. I mean, obviously we've, mm. we've had Simon Sinek on here and, you know, he's had the whole thing start with why, right? That's so right. when you think about, you know, kind of understanding your purpose and how to find your why, A, um, how does that folk, how does that link to motivation? But then B, most importantly, how do you coach people to help find their why? Because I think everybody not everybody's done that work to really figure, to mm. drill it down to the core level to understand what makes them tick and why that is. Mm. Yeah. So I'll, I'll try and answer your second question. You might have to remind me what the first question was. So the second question, um, when I coach people, I start quite simply. So if I've got somebody who's struggling because they're, they're demotivated, they're fed up, I try and get to what aspects of their work. So I'm mainly talking work here. Obviously, there's stuff that happens in our lives that also affect our motivation. But if we stick with work for a moment, um, I will dig into very simply, you know, what they enjoy about their work, what they don't enjoy, what they do well, and what they don't do well. So it's a simple four-box matrix. And just having that conversation, they start to realize the sorts of things that drain their energy, that they find a nuisance, that they find annoying. And they also realize the sorts of things in their work that they really enjoy, they really like doing. Um, So that's usually my starting point. And then, you know, there's lots of different 
um, you know, tools and techniques you can use, some of which are in the book, which is why the book is a very practical book, I have to say, full of tools and techniques and so on. Um, I mean, there's even a quiz in there to help people work out what really motivates them. Um, but that would be my starting point. You know, quite simple. What do you like or not like about your work? What do you do well? What you don't? What don't you do well? And that starts to help people understand. So, if I give you an example, um, somebody I was coaching a couple of years ago, he was quite a senior person in an organisation. He was part of the leadership team, um, but actually, and and what, one of the things that mo- the thing that most motivated him was helping other people. He wasn't particularly strategic. He wasn't particularly into innovation. What really floated his boat, if that, <laughs> or whatever, what really got him up in the morning was feeling he was part of a team, helping other people, being responsible, playing his part. Um, and when he couldn't do that, that's when he would feel frustrated. And, you know, when he was expected to do more like strategic, not well defined things, he would struggle with those. So part of the coaching then is, well, who can help you? Who can help you fill those gaps? You know, and how can you do more of what energizes you and a bit less of what drains you? You talked before about the four core motivators. And, you know, we're Blanchard. We believe in four leadership styles. We believe in leading situationally. So we're we're all about uh, uh, breaking it down in, in, a, in, a, in a simple way. And, and as, as uh, Ken likes to say, different different strokes for different folks, depending on the goal or task. So you, you say one size doesn't fit all. So let's kind of walk through what are the four core motivators and, and how we can kind of utilize this information. Yeah. Okay. So um, the four core motivators, the language I use is one of them is we all have a need to belong, to feel that we belong. We're part of a group, we're part of a team, you know, we've got family, friends, so that need for belonging, um, other people might use slightly different terminology. Some of the research on which this is based, they use the word relatedness. But anyway, I quite like the word belonging. So we have that need to belong. Um, we have a need to be competent, to feel that we're competent, to feel that we're respected for our skills and so on. We have a need for freedom, to have some choice and control over what we're doing. And we have a need to fulfill our potential. So I think those are the four core needs that drive our behavior, that underpin of a lot of what we do and what we choose to do and, and what, how we choose to spend our time. Um, and those four core needs basically come from two different places. Um, tell me if I'm going into too much detail, but one stream of thought is the um, temperament, which goes back, you know, a couple of thousand years, actually. But since the 20th century, somebody called David Kearsey wrote about people's temperaments, the four temperaments and those core needs. Linda Behrens then built on Kiersey's work, she actually calls it essential motivators rather than, as you as you, as you well know, rather than temperament. Um, so she developed and expanded his work. So that's one stream that I'm drawing on in, in my book. The other stream is more academic research. So um, about 20 years ago, Ryan and Desi, a pair of American researchers, came up with self-determination theory. And they talk about the need for autonomy, um, competence and relatedness. So I've drawn on some of their work as well, um, plus Maslow. Now, everybody has heard of Maslow. When I talk to groups of managers and say, who's heard of Maslow? They all put their hands up. They've all heard of Maslow. And then I say, okay, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. At the top, you've got self-actualization. Who knows what self-actualization is? <laughs> and you know, all the hands come down. 
So for me, it's about fulfilling your potential. So I think those sort of academic, the Ryan and Desi work and Maslow, they're the fourth top things that they've identified, then combined with temperament gives us a really rich resource because knowing that you're motivated by one of those four, four core needs in abstract is okay, but it's not terribly helpful. What the essential motivator side brings is, well, what patterns of behavior does this mean? You know, how do I behave? How am I as a leader? What's important to me as a team member? What do I need from my manager, from my leader? So you get the deep insight into the patterns of behavior that these core needs drive. And then you get a better understanding of the sort of leader that you are, what's important to you, what you bring, and maybe what you don't bring. Well, you know, so there's a great foundation. Love that. So let's kind of dig in a little bit more. I mean, your book is 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 about the ultimate guide. So that's 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 a that's a big promise right there. The ultimate guide to leading your team. So how does all of this translate to if I want to be a better leader, if I want to utilize what you share with 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 us in this book, so that I can show up differently to the people that I'm working with? Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I think one of the a place to start is you've got to engage people, whether it's individually or, or your teams, in a sense of purpose. So you've got to, got to show them how perhaps their own job, the purpose of their job relates to the wider team purpose, and that relates to the wider organization purpose. And I'm sure Simon Sinek, when he was on your podcast, would have talked about that, you know, finding your why and how it relates to the bigger why. So as a leader, you've got to help people make that connection. Um, and then you've got to talking about these core needs. So you've got to give them a bit of time so you develop them so they can build their competence. You know, you've got to take some time to build connections and enable people to have connections in the team and feel that they belong. So they get that sense of belonging. You've got to be able to delegate in a way that gives them some freedom and some choice and control over what they do. And, you know, if you do those things, for me, those are key management capabilities. And if you do those, you are tapping into all those core needs, those four core needs, irrespective of, you know, I might have one core need that's slightly different, higher than, than in my hierarchy, hierarchy than you have. But, um, you know, by managing people in those ways, you're tapping into those core needs, but you have to go a bit further. And I mentioned at the beginning that for me, motivation is not just about purpose and those core needs. It's also about persistence and resilience. And if you think about persistence, that's, you know, what, what helps keep us going when there's setbacks, there's difficulties, there's problems, you know, we can either give up or we can say, no, we're, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to persist. What helps people persist is to have self-belief, self-efficacy, to believe, yeah, I can do this, I can do this. If your manager is, um, you know, giving you feedback and telling you you've made mistakes and you've done something wrong and this isn't going to work, that is not going to help you with your self-belief. You are going to pull back a bit. You're not going to perform as well. You're going to be less willing to take any risks. You're going to feel less confident. So one of the, uh, you know, a, a whole chapter in my book actually is devoted to how as a manager, can you help people persist? And one of the key ways is to give feedback in a way that um, builds their self-confidence, builds their self-belief because then they'll perform better. Um, and, you know, how you coach them you know, managers should be coaches as well. You can't coach people all the time. Sometimes, it's, you know, thinking about situational leadership, there's that whole spectrum from telling people to 
coaching people and lots of places in between. Yeah. Um, but managers should be coaches. They should be enabling people to to grow and develop and, you know, do do their roles better. Um, and I think even how you set goals, goal setting can be quite sort of boring and not very exciting. But I think how you set goals as well can help people persist. So many, so many valuable nuggets in there. And, and, <laughs> and a lot of, uh, as Ken likes to say, duh moments, right? Like if you, if people don't know where they're going, you know, you've got to set those goals and then, and then the bravery of leaders, I think sometimes to give the feedback, but giving it, like you said, giving feedback that works, put you on the spot a little bit here. How do you build persistence? How do you build that performance when everybody seems to be doing what we're doing now, connecting virtually, and you don't have the chance to sit across from, how do you do that when those, those connection points are over a screen? Yeah. Well, you still got to do it. Yeah. And I think you've got to make time to have chat that aren't part of a meeting so you know these I think with every people working from home so much it tends to be quite formal you get on the call you all start talking straight away about what the agenda is what the meeting's about but I think as a leader you perhaps have to have a you know a tea at three session or something where it's actually not a meeting okay you're on the screen yeah but you know you can come along have a chat how are things going um, I think you have to do that sort of thing. And I think you have to, there's a lot, you have to put in a lot of effort because yeah. it takes time, but you know, people need to feel they belong. And if they never see their, their colleagues or they only ever see them in a formal meeting and don't have that time to chat a little bit, um, then I, I don't think that's helpful. And I think that's one of the things that leads people to feel less connected to their organizations and more likely to leave. Yeah. It, it's leading's hard. I mean, if, if, it, if everybody could do it, we wouldn't be in business yeah. here. You wouldn't be writing books. It takes effort and it takes, it sometimes takes some structure. You talked a little bit, you talked about obviously there about persistence and you touched on a little about resilience. We could call it grit, you know, that, that aspect of resilience. How, how do you feel like, cause some people would say, well, it's some, it's, it's an eight. It's, it's sometimes people are just born with that resilience and they, or, or, or their, 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 you know, nature and nurture, you know, they developed it along the way. How does somebody who is, let's say, taking on a new role as, as a leader um, for the very first time, how do you nurture resilience? How do you show up res with resilience? What are some, some hacks that you could, you could share with us that, that could make us better in that realm? Yeah. Okay. So for me, resilience is, it's almost what you do, um, sort of not outside work necessarily, but it's not actually that focus on the task. You know, we were talking about persistence and, and getting feedback and keeping going. I think you build your resilience in a way separate from, from, from the work. So a, a really important aspect of resilience is looking after your energy levels so your physical energy, your mental energy, your emotional energy. And when you're a new leader in a new role, all of those are going to be drained because, you know, you want to do well. You want to show that you can um, you know, do the job that you've been promoted into, maybe. Um, often uh, leaders, when, when people are promoted, they often think they have to do more of what made them successful at the lower level. But actually, when you're promoted, you've got to do different things. Than, than made you successful in the past. So often people fall into the trap of just working harder, working longer, dealing with more emails, dealing with more meetings, but actually you've got to manage in a different way. So I think one of the things that can help new managers is to have some sort of a mentor um, 
who can put or a coach who can point out to them, hang on, you need you need to do things differently now. Yes, he did a great job there, but doing more of that is not going to make you successful now. So I think that's the first point. And I think the second point I would say is coming back to energy is, you know, look after yourself. Make sure you look after your physical energy. So, you know, take some time out, go for a walk, get some fresh air, make sure you get sleep, eat healthily, drink plenty of water. So those are all obvious um, things to look after your body. We all know that if we're worried about something, if you get a good night's sleep, it always seems less worrying the next day. It's just not so so important the next day. And then on the mental side, um, again, having a rest, not taking, not having too much screen time, allowing yourself a bit of downtime, perhaps de- disconnecting from your emails and notifications some of the time so you can get on with some of the more important work without distractions. Um, and then on the emotional side, you know, making time to see friends and family and colleagues outside work um, and so on. So I think looking after your energy is a really important aspect of being resilient. You can't just, you know, people think they can just work harder. You can't. You have to work work smarter, really. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, and, and not to belabor this, but we all went through it. I, I just remember how waning and how struggling my my energy level was when we were you know less motivated during times when it was the, the uncertainty of, of of the pandemic and so yeah it's so important to take care of yourself so we've got time for just a couple more questions um oh gosh you know leadership lead, leadership leading it would be so much easier if, if there wasn't anybody else involved right like <laughs> if there wasn't <laughs> a human on the other side of the oh, desk yeah, or, yeah, you yeah. know if there wasn't somebody on the other yeah. side of the screen so you know, what do you do when 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 issues come up? What do you do when there's conflict? What do you do, you know, when you're trying to you you know use all this great research that's in your book? How do you how do you do it when things don't go well and you've got to fix, repair, or or a uh, uh, course course correct? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing is take a step back and don't panic. Have a take a step back, reflect, think. Obviously. It's very hard to give specific advice when we have we're talking generally, but you know, in a conflict situation, say I would I would always say, stop, pause, go away for a bit, think about it. Um, if you're in conflict with, with say one of your team, maybe you know go and get a coffee, go and take a, get a room, go to one side, give yourself both of you chance to um, reflect on. What, what whatever the problem is there are different little models you can follow i have a model in my book called the deficit model which is how to have a difficult conversation with somebody and how to plan it in advance and think about it in advance um i would say when you notice you have to have your use all your senses you have to notice what's happening in your team and between people and when you notice something that's not quite right do something about it. Don't just sweep it under the carpet. Don't just think, oh, it'll go away. It'll sort itself out. It might not. So, you know, we often say saying nothing is not saying nothing. So if you notice that somebody is, I don't know, leaving work early every day when they shouldn't be, perhaps, then you need to address that. Because if you don't address that straight away, that's going to affect the morale and the motivation of other people in your team. Um, So much as we avoid, we all, it's human, we all avoid dealing with difficult situations but as a leader and a manager you can't that's your job you know if we didn't have any problems we wouldn't need managers right <laughs> yeah 
Yep. You know, that is your job. It is to deal with problems, not uh, but not just the technical or the task-related problems. It's also the people-related problems. And of course, you know, managers often have fantastic technical and professional skills and they get promoted into people management roles. And as I said at the beginning, I think nobody really tells them how to do it. Um, they And yeah, it's different. It's different. You've got to want to manage people, I think, actually. Um, but you've got to not be afraid of it. You've got to, you know, we're all human. Um, you have to treat people. You have to respect people. You treat people with respect. You talk to them. You find out what the problem is and you sort of calm, calm situations down. And I think that's your role as a manager. Well, I always like to ask this question at the end, and that means we're at the end. What is the one thing when you think about all the people that are going to be listening to this podcast? What is kind of the one nugget in all your research and all your time? What's the one one thing that you want the listeners today to to, to take away um, into their world? Mm-hmm. I think if you're a manager, and I'm assuming most people le- listening to this podcast are, then What you have to bear in mind is what you do and what you say influences how other people think and how they feel and how they think and feel influences how motivated they are and engaged they are. So you have to be intentional in what you do and say, because you can either knock people down, you can damage their persistence, their resilience, they they can lose their sense of purpose, or if you do and say the right things, you can give them that sense of purpose and that persistence and resilience so that they perform better and have better well-being too. The book is called Motivation, The Ultimate Guide to Leading Your Team. Catherine, if if people wanted to dig a little bit deeper into you, learn a little bit more about you, aside from obviously grabbing this book, where would you send them? Um, LinkedIn. So I'm active on LinkedIn and I have a website. Because I have a complicated name, my website is not does not have my name in it, but it's still a little bit complicated. So it's www.essenwood, that's E-double-S for sugar, E-N, wood.co.uk. So there's loads of resources there. Um, there's vi- short videos, there's materials they can download. There's all sorts of free stuff connected with um, both my current book, the motivation book, and how to get on with anyone, my, my earlier book. So, and I'd love people to connect with me on LinkedIn. That would be fantastic. Catherine Stothartz. Uh, you know, I don't, I didn't think it was a tough word. I mean, our tough name, <laughs> although I did, I did share uh, to listeners. I share with, with, with Catherine before we started that, uh, S's and THs were my my problem child when I was in elementary school. I had to do speech class. So so Catherine Stothart would be would have been a good homework assignment for me. Um, <laughs> but uh, Catherine, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much um, from on behalf of all the listeners of the Leader Chat. Thank you so much for joining us and, and uh, providing your expertise today. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Chad. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed the interview, go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share it with your friends. The best way you can help us grow is feedback. So write a review if you haven't already. This podcast is brought to you by Blanchard, the heart of human achievement. Visit Blanchard.com for additional resources to help you and your organization succeed. Now it's my pleasure to turn today's podcast over to Ken Blanchard for his final thoughts. Chad, thanks so much for interviewing Catherine Stuckard. I I just love listening to her. I love the British accent and the whole thing, but 
Uh, I'm fascinated by her book, the title, Motivation, the Ultimate Guide to Leading Your Team. And she talks about four motivators, core motivators. One is the feeling of belonging, you know, being part of a team. Second is feeling competent, that you really uh, have some skills and all freedom, which just gives you sense of autonomy. And then feeling your potential, being up to your potential. And, and she sort of asked, what, what is the, the basic one for you? And, and to me, my, my most important one is freedom, freedom to really choose and, and be who I want to be. But the rest are all really important. And so I, I think it's really uh, interesting to listen to her and to read read her uh, book. And because she says that, that we all really uh, have a sense of purpose that we have to deal with. And then she wants us to be persistent, you know, keeping on, keeping on, and then being resilient, which is taking time for yourself and, and all. I mean, there's so many good concepts in here. So uh, I recommend you re-listen to this uh, interview with Chad and and uh, and Catherine, and then check her book out. I think it's really powerful stuff. So take care of yourself. I think that life is a very special occasion, particularly when you're motivated and you know what excites you in life.